Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We're in the midst of a series that we're calling Faith in Action. We've been working our way through the book of James, and so far it's been a really easy, comforting journey uh, through conversations about tribulation and trial. We've looked at temptation, uh, worthless origin, what it means to have dead faith. We've talked about the destructive power of our tongue, uh, looked at demonic wisdom, and uh, the dangers of being a friend of the world. Just some really, really easy topics there. Even better, this morning, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the thought of slander, the topic of slander. So just nice, comforting, you can relax, take a, take a, a lean back. In all seriousness, right, James has been difficult and convicting, but there has been such goodness and hope through this series, and we've seen the greatness of God and his love for us, and and this morning should be no different. I was talking with Josh Brimmer about this section of scripture, uh, and he brought up a story that happens in the book of Numbers that I think is a really good illustration of what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you're not familiar with Numbers, it it tells the story of what happens to the Israelites after they leave Mount Sinai, but before they get into the Promised Land. Uh, A lot happens across the book. One story you might be familiar with uh, is when Moses sends the 12 spies out into the Promised Land to to look it over, and they come back, and 10 of them have this terrible report. They say there's giants in the land, it's really dangerous, there's no way that we we can survive here. Um, it causes the people to be afraid. They don't want to get into the land. And, and because of that, uh, God condemns them to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years until a new generation of Israelites has come up. Well, a lot happens while they're wandering, they're journeying, there's some battles, different things go on. Uh, but eventually they get to the end of the 40 years. And, and in Numbers 21, the, the 40 years are up and they're moving out of the desert back into the promised land. They have this battle with the Canaanites. God gives them power. They win. But then, instead of continuing on up into the promised land, the Lord redirects them south, away from their their, uh, new homeland, around some enemies, so they don't have to do battle with them. Well, the the people are not happy about this. They want to be done. They're tired of this desert traveling, right? It's kind of like they're the the little kid in the back of the car who's at the end of a long road trip complaining, are we there yet? Come on, what are we doing? Only in this case, the uh, person driving is the Lord, and they've been complaining constantly. Um, Numbers 21 tells us that the people spoke against God and against Moses. They criticized God, questioning his care for them, complaining about the food he had provided. And in response, God sends these fiery snakes into the camp. You can imagine the scene in the midst of of the desert, fiery snakes pouring into the camp of the Israelites. And this was no small campsite, right? There was potentially as up to over a million Israelites that were making this journey. So it probably wasn't just a few snakes that wandered in. We have thousands of snakes pouring into the camp, unleashed because of how the people spoke. The camp is in chaos, people running from the snakes, trying to hide, trying to escape. And you just have this picture of people suffering and dying from being bitten. It's a horrible scene of devastation and chaos. All because the people spoke against 
God. Now, this is recorded as history, as actually having happened. But the physical events that Scripture records have spiritual illustrations for us, have spiritual purpose. Uh, And we can see some illustrative parallels between the damage caused by these fiery snakes and the damage, James says, our words cause. In chapter 3 of James, we read, James say that, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Our tongue is a fire, our, our, flames, our, our words, flames leaping out to consume others. Earlier in chapter 1, James cautions us to be slow to speak. The way we speak, the words we use, have the potential to cause great harm. In Numbers 21, we see a physical picture of the spiritual damage our words can cause. The people spoke against God and Moses, and fiery snakes came into the camp and brought pain, chaos, and death. We speak against others, and our words cause pain, chaos, and even death. We let fiery snakes loose in the lives of others and within our own life. The title of the message is Snakes in the Camp. And I want you guys to keep that image of of the snakes and the pain and the devastation they can cause in your head as as we work our way through James this morning. Um, We're going to read verse 11, but before we do, I'm going to just pray one more time and then we'll, we'll jump into the Word. Jesus, thank you for what you have spoken. Thank you for the word that we have that directs us, that leads us to you, Lord. I pray that we will take it seriously, that we will listen to what you have to say, Lord. Give us ears to hear your word this morning and and keep me from saying anything that, that is not from you, Lord. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, James, James 4. Verse 11, James writes, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? All right. James gives us this strong command, do not. And what is it that we're not to do? Speak evil against one another. He gives a few reasons why we should uh, obey this command and then ask a rhetorical question that directs us back to it. It's a very simple section. It's actually even simpler in the Greek than it is in English. There's only a few different words that, that James uses, and he repeats them multiple times. James is speaking simply, and directly, emphasizing the importance of what he is writing. So, we're going to define the command, then we'll look at three reasons that James gives for us to be obedient to the command, and then lay out what our response should be. First off, though, the command, do not speak evil against one another. In the Greek, uh, that word, th- those words, speak evil against, they're all one word, it's, it's the Greek word, kataleo, kataleo, I'm not a Greek scholar, so... 
Uh, don't hold me to that. But <laughs> it's translated variously as speak evil against, speak against, criticize, or slander. It's generally tied to the word slander. And for us, the word slander can carry the idea, I think, of, of a false accusation. But that's not what James is getting at here. It doesn't matter whether what is spoken is true or false. Slander, speaking evil against someone, is tearing down that person. It's defaming them. It's, it's words that are spoken in condemnation. Speaking evil against a fellow believer is wrong, whether or not what you are saying is true or false. And then James ties slander to judging. And we have to be careful here because we could take this passage out of context and claim that James is saying that we shouldn't acknowledge sin in anybody's life or, or point anything out or, or judge in any manner. But judging in this context doesn't refer to evaluation, but rather condemnation. Think about what James has doing, been doing across this whole letter. What, he's been calling out the church, right? He's been telling them that the way they have been living is wrong. He's made an evaluation of their life, said that they're living in sin, and is providing life-giving correction. He's not standing in condemnation over them. I believe the distinction between the two, evaluation and condemnation, comes down to the position of our heart. When judging someone in the context of this passage, you are putting yourself over them. If you find yourself judging another believer, whether to their face or to other people, or even within the confines of your own heart and mind, then you are putting them down and elevating yourself over them. You are speaking evil against them. This can look a lot of different ways. Some of them obvious, some less so. It could be spreading slander about somebody else in the middle of, in the midst of one of your circles. Or it could be little sarcastic remarks that we make under the guise of playful teasing. Whether it's about an individual or a group or even a whole church, we release snakes in the camp to spread division, chaos, and pain. This, this has been a, a difficult passage for me to prepare. As I, I've prayed through this message, as, as I've worked on it, the Lord has brought conviction and recognition to me. Over the last two weeks, I have lost count of the number of times that I have said something and then immediately questioned, what was my intent? Am I doing this to elevate myself in some manner or, or to put somebody else down? I've found that, that I'm quick to criticize, quick to judge within my own heart. And my prayer is, and my hope for this morning, is that the Lord will work within this church. That His Spirit will bring recognition and conviction, not just in the way that we speak about each other, but in the way that we think about one another. That we would take James's command on criticism and slander seriously. And that awaken would look different because of it. I believe that the growth of our church, the maturity of our church, will depend on how we think and speak about each other. So I'm going to give three reasons why we should heed this command, and then we'll look at how we should speak to one another. The first reason we should not speak evil against one another is because when we do so, we are attacking our family. Notice the shift 
that James uh, uses in how he's addressing his audience, right? Before this, he's been uh, calling them adulterers. He called them sinners and double-minded. And now all of a sudden, in, in verses 11 and 12, he starts using the word brothers. Uh, that word is, is general. Some of your Bibles might translate it as brothers and sisters. What James is doing is, is, he, is he's reminding us that in Christ, we are all one body. We are united together as family. That person sitting next to you, if they are in Christ and you are in Christ, then they're not just some random person you're sitting next to. They are your family. Right? We, we don't just gather as strangers in a room to listen to some nice talk. We gather as the family of God to worship God, to be united together in Him, to come under His Word. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells His disciples that they will know, that the world will know that we are followers, that we are followers of Jesus by our love for one another. In verse 11, James hammers home that we are attacking our family, that we are causing self-destruction through our words. Oftentimes within the church, I think we can find ourselves in a position of hurt because of the sin of another believer. And then we feel justified in, in speaking out against them. Think about this in the context of your blood family. I grew up with a brother and sister, and we fought constantly. I don't know about you guys, maybe you were the, the perfect family, you never got in, in any fights with your siblings, um, you guys are the best of friends, but, but at least for us, my brother and I were constantly getting into it. And maybe it was the same for you, and, and your, your, you remember your parents coming into the room, upset that you're fighting for the thousandth time, and, and what would they say? What, why are you guys doing this? What, what's going on? And at least me, what I always would say is, well, he started it. It wasn't me, I was just responding to what my brother did. My brother's evil justified my evil back to him. But in Christ, there is no eye for eye. We have all been forgiven. We have all been shown mercy. And to quote James, from a couple chapters back, he writes, So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Scripture tells us that, that we are actually to expect slander and criticism, but it is always from the outside. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter tells his listeners, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you, when they slander you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter tells us that we should expect the world to speak evil against us when we're being obedient to God. In Revelation chapter 12, Satan is described as the accuser of the brethren. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see him bringing slander and speaking evil against God. He does this when he, when he tempts Eve, right? In the form of a snake, he questions God, criticizing and slandering him by claiming that God doesn't care for them, uh, that he lied to Adam, and that he's trying to keep something good from them. This is what our enemy does. He speaks evil against God. He brings accusation and condemnation against us. 
And we do his work when we speak evil against one another. Rather than resisting the devil, as James called for just a few verses prior, we become agents of the devil when we criticize or judge our family. Rather than support and encourage each other in the midst of attack from the world and Satan, we self-sabotage. We release snakes within our own camp against our own brothers and sisters. But there's more. The second reason we should not speak evil against one another is that in doing so, we decide the law for ourselves. We decide the law for ourselves. In verse 11, James says, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James equates speaking evil against the brother with judging the law. This can be a little bit confusing at first, trying to understand how is slander judging the law, right? Uh, So we need to define what does it mean to judge the law and then look at how slander does this, right? So judging the law. In Scripture, besides God, God, uh, the law is the highest authority. Everyone is judged by the law and subject to what it says. So to stand in judgment over the law is to inverse that order, to try to place yourself above the law. Judging the law is condemning it, saying that it is not good, and attempting to define it in your own image, in what you want it to be. So if that's judging the law, how how does slander do that? At the end of verse 12, James asks the rhetorical question, who are you to judge your neighbor? He switches from brother to neighbor here. He's alluding back to his his earlier command for, for his listeners to fulfill what he called the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This command, along with the the command to love God, was given by Jesus as the summation of the whole law. Jesus said that we fulfill the law through our love. So when we choose to speak evil against our brothers and sisters in Christ, we do not love them. We condemn them. And James is saying, in condemning them, we are really condemning the law. We are saying that the law, which calls us to love our brothers and sisters, is not good. And I can decide for myself who I should love or how I should love. And then if we choose to try to justify our words, right, by pointing out how sinful that other person is, or how much they've hurt us, or make assumptions about their motives, then we are creating our own law. We are claiming that the law is not good and that we should not be bound by it, but rather define it. When we do that, James says that we are no longer a doer of the word, but a judge. Here he's alluding back again to an earlier uh, statement where he said that we should be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Right? There's a few different responses that you can have when, when you hear the word. You can choose to ignore it, you can choose to obey it, uh, or you can choose to to judge it, to put yourself over it. When we're judging the law, this is far worse than just being a hearer of the law. 
It is the epitome of the prideful state that James denounced in the verses right before this. In verse 10, he called his listeners to humble themselves before the Lord. And here in verse 11, he shows how the spirit of criticism and slander is directly opposed to that. We're pridefully claiming that the law does not dictate how we live, but we dictate what the law means. So when we speak evil against one another, we're not just attacking our family, sending fiery snakes against them with our words. We are condemning the law of God. We are seeking to destroy it and to make it in our own image. This is, this is heavy, but it gets worse. I've been hinting at the third reason throughout the entire message, message stating it without quite outright stating it. The third reason why we should not speak evil against one another, and ultimately the root of all other reasons, is that when we do, we are claiming the authority of God. James spells this out for us in verse 12. He says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There is only one. There is only one who can pass judgment, only one who has given the law, and only one who can stand in judgment over that law. And it is not you. Everything always goes back to the garden in Genesis, to that original sin, and the pride that drives us to decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. Notice that James calls out uh, God's power and authority to save and to destroy. He's doing that to tie slander to salvation. This might seem a little bit excessive at first, but think about it. When we judge others, what are we doing? Particularly when we judge a fellow believer, what is it that we are doing? We're looking at some sin, some flaw, some problem in their life, and passing judgment on them for it. But from God's perspective, in the life of a believer, that sin and brokenness has already been forgiven at the cross. God, in the fullness of his power and authority, has already declared that person righteous by the blood of Jesus. And then we have the audacity to come along and say, no, the blood of Jesus is not sufficient to make up for that. And we put ourselves on our own throne, above the lives of those who do not measure up, and we try to take the place of the king of the universe. But there is only one, and it is not you, and it is not me. We have no power to actually save or to destroy. We only delude ourselves into thinking that we are somehow better than others. I, I know this is hard, but believe me when I tell you that the challenge I am bringing here comes only out of the challenge that the Lord has brought to me these last few weeks. I have been devastated by the amount of criticism that the Lord has revealed in my heart and in my mind. 
I have found myself so quick to judge, so quick to put myself on a pedestal and try to take the place of God in passing judgment on my, based on my assumptions of others. I catch myself making a joke at someone else's expense or talking with someone and in the spirit of bless their heart, speaking against a brother or a sister in Christ. This whole week, I've been wrestling between the distinction, uh, with the distinction between slander and sarcasm. I, I don't know if it exists or, or where it would be, but the Lord has been working on this and challenging me in this this week. I have felt the weight of Paul's cry in Romans 7 that Pastor Nate shared last week. Paul says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this tongue of slander? But in the midst of that struggle over how I speak, Paul's next line is that much sweeter. He says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The same God whose authority I usurp by passing judgment on my fellow believers has forgiven me of that very sin and holds no condemnation against me. Not because of anything having to do with me, but because I am in Christ Jesus. And the same is true for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So then, how should we speak? I want to close out by not just looking at uh, the negative, right? We, we need to recognize the negative. Do not, but also embrace the positive. How should we speak? So I'm going to leave James for just a little bit. And the first thing we're going to address is how we should approach, how we should speak to a brother when there is sin, right? Like, what are we to do when our brother sins against us? Well, Jesus tells us to go directly to our brother, He lays that out in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, tell him or treat him as you would a Gentile and a tax collector, which simply means treat him as you would an unbeliever. But there's a long list of stuff to get to before that point, starting with confronting them one-on-one. James actually gives us a little bit of help in identifying our motive for this. In James chapter 5, at the very end of the book, James writes, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our motivation for confronting a fellow believer in sin should be only for their good, not driven by selfish ambition or a desire for revenge because of something done to you that's speaking evil against them. But rather, we should desire to help them, to see them restored to the faith and to honor God. Across everything, 
in all of our interactions, our motivation and desire should be for the good of the other, to see them restored. So Jesus lays out how we're to approach, how we're to deal with a brother in sin, but how should we speak about one another in general? Paul gives us some clear guidelines in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 29, he writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul directs us to, to only allow what is good for building up of others to come out of our mouths. And I'd remind you that Jesus told us that our mouth speaks out of the overflow of our heart. So we should recognize here that uh, we're not just striving for what we say to be building up others, but what we think about and what we dwell on to be building them up. And this makes sense. We're, we're a family. We should desire the best for one another and seek to encourage and build each other up. Paul describes what that building up will look like at the end of those verses, right? He calls us to be kind, tenderhearted, to, to forgive one another. Ultimately, he's describing what it looks like to love one another, to fulfill the royal law, as James puts it. And in everything, we should be seeking to build one another up in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul gives a description of what love looks like. And I just want to read that for you. And, and we're going to just have that contrast of, of slander and, and the pride there as we read through 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. How different is that description from a heart that is quick to criticize and slander others? Love for one another is the marker of a follower of Jesus. But this way of speaking and thinking and living only flows from a relationship with Jesus. In 1 John chapter 4, we're told we love because God first loved us. We cannot manufacture this on our own. Apart from Jesus, we inevitably fall into speaking evil against each other. We must cling to Christ. But even in the midst of that, we'll fall short. You might be convicted right now of times you have fallen short, times you have spoken evil against a brother or sister in Christ. We need to question ourselves, to pause and think about how we speak and how we think about each other. That is taking this command seriously. What should our response be? When we realize that through our words, we have spoken and released snakes in the camp. We have brought harm to our family. We've decided what the law means and ultimately claimed the authority of God. How should we respond? In Numbers chapter 21, 
in the midst of the chaos of the camp, with fiery snakes everywhere, the people cry out to God. They confess their sin and plead for God to remove the snakes. And then God commands Moses to do kind of an odd thing. He has him create a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And then God promises that anybody who has been bitten but looks upon this snake will be healed. The people repent and in faith look to the snake, lift him up on a pole for healing. In John chapter 3, Jesus draws an analogy between himself and this image that Moses created. He tells Nicodemus, As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That snake on the pole in Numbers 21 that brought healing in the midst of all of the the death was a foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross. So like the Israelites, when we have spoken evil against others and ultimately against God, we are called to repent, to confess the sin we have committed, and then to look upon Jesus and have faith that forgiveness and salvation are found only in him. Will you cry out to the Lord today? Will you trust that as you repent and look to God, he draws near to you? I want to end just reading back again in James. Um, I can be up here and have a lot to say, and and, and hopefully it's from the Lord, but we we know that his word is true. And I think... uh, just reading back again a portion of James 4 and tie this up together and then we'll pray and go into worship. God gives more grace. I'm starting in verse 6, a little bit back. God gives more grace. Therefore it said, says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Look to Jesus in faith. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Wash your tongues, you slanderers. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother, or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.